Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scale It Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa, as always. And today, the episode is all about books. And it's all about books that I've read in the last couple of years that have been particularly influential uh, on me and have made an impact on my life and the way I think and the way I perceive the world. And these are these are I mean these are books that I just think are excellent to read. Now, I'll tell you when I I when I read now, I of course get to choose what I read and I primarily read books that I like and it so happens that the books that I find interesting are usually fall in the realm of self-development books. So any book that is out there that I can use to modify the way that I think, improve the way that I act and behave, so on and so forth. That's a book that I'm interested in. Or hearing stories of how people have achieved particular successes, etc. I find that especially fascinating. A podcast along the same lines is the Tim Ferriss podcast, which is an amazing show. He gets some of the most incredible guests from all over the world and all walks of life to try and decode the success formula, quote unquote success, whatever whatever you might define success to be. But essentially people who have achieved objectively great things or quite difficult things, how did they do it? What were their mindsets? What are the commonalities between all these different folks that have done great things, so on and so forth? So what prompted the show? What prompted the show is I got an email from Tyler, a listener, and the email says, Dear Josefa, I have enjoyed listening to your, and Tyler is from British Columbia. Dear Josefa, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast every day this summer and appreciate all the hard work you do in putting together these casts along with everything else that you have on your plate. I'm currently in my last year of elementary teaching program. And I have some questions for you that may help me as I continue to grow as an educator. I know that you have touched upon leadership briefly in your podcast about the 50th law, but I was wondering if you had any other great books or papers that you could recommend with the topic of student leadership. Thank you. So I thought this was so cool because I've been meaning to do a show on these super influential books that I've read in my life. I, I keep meaning to and I haven't done it yet. So I said, OK, Tyler sent me this message. I'm just going to do an episode and respond that way to his question. Now, when he talks about student leadership or essentially, um, you know, when, when the way that I think about that, I think about the books that I've read, because really, if we're talking about leadership or having the you know, get something that will provide you with the thought processes or skill sets or mindsets to achieve great things. I mean, it's essentially one and the same. Uh, it, it's it's the same type of, of books, self-development, etc. that I've been reading and that I've been interested in. 
So without further ado, I compiled a little list of 10 books that come to mind. I'm leaving a lot of books off the list, obviously, because I, I don't want to go too crazy. But these are ones that I think are particularly awesome. And so and in no order. So it's not one through 10. It's just this is the list. There are 10. So I'm going to talk about them and I'm going to give a little description about each one. If you just want the short list and you just want to go through and plow through all of them and read them. You can also check out the show notes at www.scalerlearning.com for episode 78. But if you want to hear a little bit of a intro as to like what are all these books about, see if you're actually interested in each one, stay tuned. All right, so here we go. Starting with the first book, The War of Art. Not The Art of War, The War of Art. I read this book back in, actually I read this book a few years ago, I think in 2013, so three years ago. And this, like the 50th law, which I recently did an episode on, I actually wrote another, my own book report on it. It's actually pretty in-depth. If you want it, by the way, guys, just email me. I'm sure I can dig it up. But this was actually an even more in-depth book report. Maybe I'll even do an episode on it one day. A more in-depth book report than the one I wrote on the 50th law, because I thought this was a very powerful book. And it, in general... It deals heavily with this concept of resistance. And the idea of resistance is this. Resistance is just, it's kind of like that feeling that you get that prompts you to procrastinate. You're like, okay, well, I have to go clean the house right now. And you get that feeling like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Talks about how resistance is your enemy. It gets in the way of you accomplishing whatever you need to accomplish. And and it's really cool because it sort of, it, paints it as an enemy of productivity and gives you all these tips on how to essentially be productive, how to get around resistance, how to beat it down. One of the coolest, one of the coolest lessons that I got from this book, by far, actually, it's so valuable to me. I remember they talk about the specific example of writing because I've written, uh, you know, I, I write a lot. I wrote a book on Airbnb called Get Paid for Your Pad. I've written, you know, I've written a bunch of stuff. I'm going to write a book on on education as well, because I love to write. And I remember one of one of the best things that this book said was, all right, when you when you go and you're about to sit down to start writing a book or whatever it may be, the hardest part of the entire endeavor is sitting down and opening up your computer to begin. That is the toughest part. Because most of the time when we, and and it's so true, whether we have a paper or whether we have a school assignment or a book that we're doing on our own, the toughest part, especially at the beginning, when you're just starting and you've got nothing, you've got this gargantuan task ahead of you, you're like, where I don't want to begin because you just, you just want to put it off because it seems insane. It seems too hard to tackle. And I thought about that and I'm like, if the heart, I was like, wait a minute, the hardest task is actually sitting down to write, which is true, resonated with me. I'm like, this is actually true. Then this is actually easy because all I got to do is sit down at the computer, open it up, load up a Word document, maybe type a couple words. And now in 15, 20 seconds, I have just blown past the most difficult part of the process. And then everything should get easier, which it always does. It always gets easier as long as you don't have... Well, we'll talk about writer's block in a second, but so that was such a powerful message to me. So then anytime I felt that resistance with respect to writing when I was actually, because this is around the time when I was writing that first book, 
I just said, well, you know what? No, I know I'm not feeling like it today, but I'm just going to go sit down, open up my computer, write a little bit, and then I'll have gotten through the hardest part. That was really empowering for me. It just depends on what resonates with you. It's something different. It'll be different for everybody uh, in, in terms of these books and the messages and what resonates with you in particular. That resonated with me hardcore, and I and I really loved it. Now, I, let me just talk about writer's block very briefly because if you are writing or a writer working on a paper, whatever it may be, you may have heard this term writer's block. I more or less think it's a made up thing. And I'll tell you why. The Neil Strauss, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's written tons and tons of books on all sorts of topics. He talked about writer's block. And, and I thought this too. Basically, what he says is this. Writer's block is nothing more than wanting to be a perfectionist to your own detriment. So what it is, is you sit down and you don't want to write anything because you keep thinking of ideas. You're like, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. And it holds you in limbo until you can get that perfect thought. And then that's what we call writer's block. But it doesn't really matter because look, I can attest to this and I've seen so many other authors have talked about this. You if as long as you put that away and just let yourself write and let it be bad in your mind anyways, a lot of times I'll write and I'll be like, this is terrible, but I'll come back. It's like, it's not so bad, but you just let yourself write and commit to the revision process. Commit to the fact that I'm just going to put down what comes to my mind, stream of consciousness, and I can go back later and fix it, revise it, reread it, improve it. Writer's block becomes a thing of the past. It is non-existent. So that is my take on writer's block. That is The War of Art. Check it out. Amazing book. Next book. Again, no particular order. The Power of Now. This is one I recently read and actually listened to it on tape on my drive up to San Francisco when I was attending uh, the, the Udemy Live conference up there. I love to do that when I'm on long drives because otherwise it's dead time. If I have to drive, I can't do anything. So I like to listen to books. It's kind of fun. So we listened to The Power of Now and this is a book that gets a little spiritual, so I don't know if that's your thing, but to me, I think it was pretty helpful as far as, I wouldn't call it a, I don't know if I'd call it a leadership book per se, but the way I think about this book is it's, you know, if you can get it from the title, the, the whole idea is we are slaves to our thoughts, and I never used to think about thinking in this way. My mind is always running like crazy. And my mind is always elsewhere. I'm in my own thoughts. A lot of times I'm thinking about this, that, and the other. I get a lot of my ideas for things I want to do or create because I'm always thinking about stuff when I'm driving or working out or whatever. So I think that it has positive benefits. And I've always thought generally to have a mind that was very active, To that was a positive thing. But he makes an interesting point in the book that Sometimes we can get so carried away with our thoughts and our minds running amok that we never we we are never able to be in the moment. We're never able to look around and appreciate what's going on. And that can cause a lot of stress and unhappiness for us. Whereas a lot of the worries and the anxieties that we have about what do we have to do tomorrow? What did we do yesterday that was not so good? Blah, 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 blah. If we can quiet that noise of our mind. We are no longer enslaved by our minds. And in the instant, at now, there's nothing to worry about. If we can just be present and relax, 
a lot of these stresses and worries and whatever may be bothering you melt away. And he talks about, I mean, it's related to the idea of meditation. Meditation is very much about being present and being in the now by focusing on things like breathing and so on and so forth. Anyways, it was such a cool book. It's something that I'm still trying to work on because that that's something that I've never even thought about as like, oh, I need to work on this. So I'm pretty bad at it, to be honest. It comes very natural to me to just let my mind go because I'm like, hey, I get good productivity out of it. But it, it hit me pretty hard just because it's something I haven't thought about. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. So I want to work on it. I actually want to hire a meditation coach and see if I can improve my ability to be in the now. But I would say no, no matter what, like I said, it's a little heavy on the spiritual side. So just bear that in mind if you're going to check it out. But it's by Eckhart Tolle. He's an amazing guy. Check it out. Absolutely. Okay. Number three. Ooh, we're getting to a book that I just love. Uh, it's called The Talent Code. Such an incredible book. I'm reading a book right now called Grit, which is along the same lines. I'm like only about 100 pages into Grit, but so far I'd, I'd say the two books seem to be comparable. Talent Code is the way to go if you're choosing between the two. But anyways, The Talent Code. So what is it? what is it all about? We in the world, in life, have this preconceived notion about greatness. Here's what it is. We're watching the Olympics right now, right? We see Michael Phelps, and he's swimming, doing all these amazing things. What's the first thing that we think of when we watch him accomplish these incredible feats? We say, oh my God, he is so talented, or he is a physical genius, whatever it may be. What does that imply right off the bat? That implies that whatever he is doing is the product of innate ability, meaning he was likely born with this amazing physical gift that cannot be replicated, that cannot be achieved via practice or anything, and he is blessed. Well, what the talent code essentially asserts is that what we often perceive as quote-unquote talent, as natural ability, is not natural ability, but instead the refinement of a skill to the point where it becomes so powerful that it looks like it's natural talent. It looks like they're just able to do it naturally and they're just amazing. But behind the scenes, these people have been working away in a way, to, like practicing like crazy with an amazing work ethic which only allows them to then develop this skill, this quote-unquote talent, build it, construct it, and now they are amazing at what they do. So it is not in, it is not born, but it's it's about extreme dedication, uh, what's focused practice, really hard practice, where you are actually looking at what you're doing, you're analyzing it, you're working to improve, and you're putting in the hours. You see this in, for example in Hollywood. I live in Los Angeles. So I see a lot of my friends in different, they're actors, they're comedians. And we often believe that a lot of these stars, comedians, whatever they may be, rise out of obscurity. Like they just went out and they were spotted on the street. Like that happens in LA is what, what we just think. You're walking down the street, he was discovered at this nightclub and then boom. So you think, oh my God, I could just go to a nightclub. 
you think you can do one joke, one amazing thing, and you'll be discovered. Somebody will say, I want you in a movie. You're going to be a movie star because you're so talented, you're such a natural, and that's it. it. It just doesn't work like that. All these guys, usually when they're quote-unquote discovered, the five or ten or fifteen years prior to that discovery, they've been going at it hardcore. They've been understanding their craft. They've been building their comedic skills. They've been performing every night, going crazy. I have a friend uh, named Neil Nanda, who's an, a comedian in Los Angeles. Amazing comedian, super funny. There's a lot of great things that are happening for him. And I remember talking to him when I first met him. I actually just met him at a comedy show because I just went up to him. I'm like, dude, you are hilarious. You crushed it. You're so funny. And so then we just started chatting and then we we ended up becoming friends after that. And he is the, I mean, he's the portrait of hard worker. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, and he just, he just hustles, man. He's just always doing shows, always working, always setting up organization, you know, uh, comedic events. He's on tour all the time. I mean, he's just never stopping. And that's the type of mentality it takes not only to to get noticed because you got, I mean, it's and, and he even told me, I mean, he's been doing this for I don't know how many years, five, six years. But he said, hey, and for the first year when he came to L.A. for the first year of comedy, he was or no, for the first like several years, he just he looked back and said, I only just started getting funny. I think he told me this like a year ago. I only just started getting funny. What does that tell you? We think somebody is just naturally funny. They're just hilarious. It's it's a skill like anything else that you build and refine by practicing, by working hard. And in fact, what the talent code says is it's not just this thing where you naturally, you know, it's not just nothing happening like, oh, I'm just practicing, practicing and it, you get it. There's a physical change in your brain that accompanies practice. And that is the development of myelin spindles around these neural pathways that are used uh, very often. So the myelin, which is this fatty material, which makes transmission of messages faster. As the myelin spindles develop, all of a sudden now these particular things that you're doing, they get easier and easier and easier. And that's what talent is or skill, uh, however you want to put it. That's the idea behind the book. Such a powerful message. Gives all these great examples of people who you're like, oh, they're so talented. Well, what's your definition of talent? Because these guys worked pretty darn hard. Great book. Unbelievable book. Okay, next book. Another book in the top of, uh, this is one of my favorite books of all time. The Power of Habit. So you have a lot of power books. The Power of Habit is precisely what the title alludes to. It's all about how to build positive habits. How does that work? And it literally breaks down the process of of building habits, which it's relatively simple. It seems like how do you how do you break this bad habit? How do you develop a good habit? It seems so hard. But the idea is really that habits are essentially addictions, but positive addictions. I mean, if you're talking about good habits, if you think about it like this, what you really want to develop, I can talk about it from the perspective of, let's say, any any number of things, but let's say going to exercise. And what you can what you'll see is people who really like to work out and like to go to the gym all the time, they have they they don't look at it as like a duty, usually. They usually don't. They actually look forward to going. They they crave it. Just like you would crave eating something sweet or maybe whatever it may be, just like you might have a bad addiction, you like, I get a craving, you'll get a craving to do something that is a positive thing in your life. 
And why, why that is, is because after time of doing an, an activity a certain number of times, you eventually link this positive reward or positive outcome or some positive emotion with it. And so once the brain begins to associate this activity with a positive emotion, it starts, whenever you think about it or you get reminded of it, it starts triggering a positive feeling. And that's your craving. Like, oh my God, I want to do this because I know I'm going to get a reward later. And then once that link is made, it life doing that positive thing, whether it's getting up and working out, whether it is writing a comedy routine every day, writing an article every day, whatever it may be, once you have a habit, you don't have to push yourself to do something. You're just, you're good. You, everything is going to happen naturally. You look at people who you're like, man, that guy has such an amazing work ethic. Look what he does on a daily basis. I guarantee you most people who you look at like that, they don't feel like they're exerting a lot of effort because most of these activities have now gone into habit mode and they crave them and it's easy. So if you can figure out how to do that, which is not that hard, you read the book, it gives you the sort of outline for how to turn things into habits. And once you realize, hey, this isn't that hard, you can create a lot of amazing habits in your life that will just propel you towards high output success, whatever, whatever you consider success to be. It's different for everybody. So that book was really, really fun because, again, it kind of blew my mind. All these books blew my mind in a particular way. They changed the way I looked at the world and life and people. So it was pretty cool. Okay, next one. Very short book, but very powerful message. The Inner Game of Tennis. This is not for just tennis players. This book is about mindset. It's all about quieting your mind to pursue perfection, or not perfection, it's the wrong word, to pursue greatness in a particular activity. So, for example, when it talks about tennis in particular, but it's applicable to everything or anything, it the, the general idea is we have, we sometimes can be overly critical or judgmental of ourselves as we are doing certain things. And what it really preaches in some is the idea is we want to detach this judgmental part of our brain when we're going through the motions, when we're trying to practice something. For example, in tennis, you may take a bad swing and you say, ah, man, what did I do there? I really messed that up. Like, what's wrong with me? I was hitting so good yesterday. And you try and overanalyze. Instead, if you can quiet that part of your brain and just say, I'm going to just keep doing the same thing. I'm going to go through the motions and I'm not going to judge it. If I make a mistake, that's fine. I can analyze and, and correct. But each, I'm going to look at each one as just a drop in the bucket as far as this entire practice regimen, practice routine. And eventually, it's gonna, everything's going to improve. That's the general idea of it. I mean, of course, the book goes into quite a bit more detail. It has this bifurcation of self one and self two. And these are sort of two simultaneously existing entities within your mind and how to quiet the other one. Really, really cool book. Absolutely recommend it. Number six, book by Tony Robbins. Not sure if you guys are fans of his or not, but he's a very interesting, amazing guy. Awaken the Giant Within. I had this recommended to me by, by so many folks. And this is a book that's really all about self-empowerment. I've given it to students of mine as well. It's from the 90s. It's an old book, but still has a lot of amazing, amazing relevance as far as, I mean, the, the title gives you the idea. It's essentially unleashing your full potential, unleashing your power, how to do that. And it gives all sorts of different pieces of advice throughout the book on on how to really unlock your potential. I know now we're. I'm going to try and get through these books just a little bit 
faster and we're running a little longer than what I wanted. Okay, next book, number seven, No More Mr. Nice Guy. I remember I was telling some guys, some of my friends once to read this, said, hey, you should check it out. No More Mr. Nice Guy, it's an amazing book. And one of my friends said, well, why should we not be nice? Being nice is a good thing. And I'm like, man, you're just looking at the title and you're saying like it's so don't judge this book by the title. It's not saying to go out and be a jerk. It's not what it's about. It's about standing up for yourself. So for a lot of guys, I don't know if you're like me. I've always been sort of I was anyways, definitely much more of a pushover, always feeling like the nice guy, feeling like being a nice guy was a good thing. And it is to a certain degree. You want to be kind to people, make people feel good. That I don't deny but not to your own detriment, not to where you're allowing people to dictate what you're doing uh, all the time, where you don't, because what this book really talks about is at the end of the day, if you're one of those people that is just so nice that you never assert what you want, you're, it's almost being dishonest in a way. Somebody says, hey, do you uh, are you cool with this? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But really, no, it's not fine, but you're just too afraid to confront the person and say it's not fine. Are you going to get mad at somebody when they do something? No, you're going to hold it in and and not express your feelings, but that's not being honest. But you're saying, oh, no, I'm going to be nice and just not make a big fuss. But that's not good for you or for other people. That's the idea about this book, and it explains precisely why this can be negative and also how to start asserting yourself, how to tell people, hey, look, how to how to become confrontational when need be. And this was really powerful for me. Amazing book. Absolutely recommend it. Number eight, The Obstacle is the Way. I read this and I listened to it on tape. This is a pretty cool book. And it's the, the general idea is captured within, it is actually captured within this title. But the idea is we shouldn't run or shouldn't be afraid of failure or obstacles. And in fact, those are the parts of the journey in our life that will empower us to learn, to grow, and to do great things. And we should embrace obstacles or difficulties as the periods where we experience the greatest amount of learning and self-development. It's a great book. Check it out. Number nine, Awakening Your Inner Genius. This book was given to me in 2013 by another teacher right when I started my quest in education and Linda Nielsen is who gave it to me and awakening your inner genius is really about like, what does it mean? We say the term genius all the time. What does genius mean? Well, there's a IQ test that specifically states, Hey, that you're in genius level, but we throw it around very casually without really understanding what it means. We just sort of are like, Oh, that person's really good at something. He's a genius or he's amazing at something. He's a genius or she's a genius, whatever. But it's, it goes back and it looks at all these people in history and who have accomplished great things, really great things. Not about IQ, but more about production and mastery. And we said, what are the characteristics? What are the traits that enable them to do all these amazing things? And it breaks it down into all these different amazing traits. Like we talk about creativity. What is creativity? Is it just being able to come up with a song or a, write, draw, paint an amazing piece of art? No, creativity exists in everything. But what is it exactly? And I thought this was really cool. It's the ability. This is the way the book defines it, if I remember correctly. It's the ability to connect disparate ideas into new ideas, which is really the whole idea behind patenting 
something, patentability of an idea or an invention. You hear this thing there. You heard that thing here. You learned about one concept back in the day, and all of a sudden now you somehow are able to connect the dots between all three and say, oh my God, if you connect these, we now have a new idea, a new product, a new, it doesn't have to be just art. It can be engineering related. It can be science related, so on and so forth. And you connect the dots and be like, oh, aha, now I can got this new thing by connecting these ideas. That's the essence of creativity. Awakening Your Inner Genius, unbelievable book, highly recommend it. Finally, number 10, here we go, David and Goliath. So David and Goliath, if you guys have read Outliers, if you guys have read, uh, what is it, um, What's the other book that I've read? Uh, well, anyways, it's a Malcolm Gla- uh, Outliers and The Tipping Point. Yeah, that's another famous Malcolm Gladwell book. And I've read both of them. Uh, David and Goliath actually is kind of like my favorite Malcolm Gladwell book. It's really short and I love it. It's It just contests this whole, it, it talks about this whole idea of the underdog. It's being the underdog and how to succeed sort of, but it's, it's really about like, well, wait a minute. Are these situations when we're talking about quote unquote underdogs, are you really an underdog or is there, is there actually an advantage when we look at these people? They're like, oh, wow, they uh, they came up from all these hard beginnings or whatever. It may be a tough situation and they made a lot out of it. Were they really in a tough situation or in fact, were there a lot of advantages that they had that they didn't even realize or we didn't realize that enabled that actually enabled them to succeed. Like the example, he actually talks about David and Goliath, this, the story. And he said, Oh my God, this was considered such an amazing feat. He took down this huge giant. He was just this little guy, but then he's like, well, wait, let's look at the story a little bit more. And he breaks it down. He's like, well, the giant actually seemed to have bad eyesight. I can't remember how he figured this out, but he's like, yeah, he was pretty bad eyesight. And yeah, he was a big guy and a, a huge guy, but what was David all about? Well, David seemed like he just had this little sling, but wait a minute, those slings were pretty powerful back then. You can aim it and direct it very accurately from a distance. And if he was good at that, he could hit him right in the head and at this speed, and it, was, it would likely knock him out in one shot. And so really, at the end of the day, David is the one that had the advantage, not Goliath. And it's really interesting. And then another thing he talks about is schools. So we always want to go to the best schools, the most prestigious Ivy League. That's what our goal is, right? But an interesting thing is you would imagine like the, the fields that are more difficult to study and more a little bit harder to get into, like engineering, computer science, uh, whatever, whatever it may be, they're tougher. And you so you would assume and they're usually more lucrative in certain ways. So you would assume that at these better institutions, you'd have a much higher percentage of kids going into these specialties. But that's not what happens. You have the same distribution at these higher level institutions as other institutions of people going into these fields. So what does that tell you? You may have 99% of the kids at a school like Harvard or Princeton that want to go into these particular majors, these particular fields, but there's only room for them for whatever reason, the way the institutions are laid out for about 30% to go in. So all these other kids, if they would have gone to other schools, they probably would have been able to pursue that route. But here they're pushed out because the competition is so fierce. So what does that tell you? That tells you that in certain cases, you may actually be better served by going to less prestigious universities because you'll have more of a chance to do these other 
pursue these other interests that are a little bit tougher to get into. So that is an interesting advantage in and of itself of going to a lesser known school, potentially. Uh, it, it raises a very interesting argument. I'm not saying that you should not want to go to a prestigious school as a result, but it raises an interesting point. So that's what that book is all about. Great book, really cool book, highly recommend. Highly recommend all these books. Again, if you guys want to check out the list of these books, go to my show notes at www.scalerlearning.com. And if you want to email me, if you got a show idea, if you have a question, please do so. Email me at huzefa at scalerlearning.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for joining. I hope this was a fun episode, an interesting episode. It was super fun for me to look back at all these books myself. So I enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skin.